And the, just something that I feel in, in, in reference to this good news series that I've been doing. Um, and it's just a, a fascinating story. And you, you're going to be very familiar with the story when I read it in a moment. But uh, it, it just, it's a fascinating story of what Jesus is trying to convey, the message that he's trying to get through. Um, if you've been tracking along, you know, the first week we talked about Jesus being the true vine. And, you know, the question is, where do you get your source of life from? What are you plugged into? Because what, that which we are plugged into is, is what will give us a source of life. And Jesus said, I am the true vine. I love that he said it that way because there's other vines. There's other things that we can try to find to give us life. But he declared himself to be the true vine. So you want to find true life. You want to find true contentment. It is only found in the man, Jesus Christ. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about being born again, this this exchange that Jesus has with this very religious man named Nicodemus. He was like the Awana champ. 5,400 scriptures. Anybody that was a, 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 he was a very religious, and he was a Pharisee, he was in the top order of the Pharisees, and uh, they had to memorize the entire law, the first five books of the Old Testament. That's a lot of work. And Jesus cuts through all the religious stuff, and he's after this guy's heart, and he said, you know, you want to be really, really born again? You want to, be, you want to know what it means to be born again? You need to have my life in you. Because unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And he deals with this guy in his religious place. New life in Jesus. Today I want to talk about Jesus the resurrection. Jesus the resurrection. I'm excited about this morning, and, and, I, and I hope that it's a message of hope that, uh, that God speaks something to your heart today. We're going to be in John chapter 11. John chapter 11. It's quite a lengthy passage because there's really no way to break this apart to make it shorter. You kind of need to kind of flow um, with all the verses um, just so that you get a picture of what's going on. So we're going to be in John chapter 11. Again, most of you will be familiar with um, probably most of this or at least part of it. Um, if it's tedious for you to read along, just listen to me. Try not to fall asleep. I can come over later and read you to sleep if you like, but uh, let's try to stay awake on this one. John chapter 11, verse 1, a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. I love that, uh, you know, John's given us the little history that these people have history. They have connection with Jesus. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Some translation says the one that you love is very sick. In other words, um, we're not just anybody. Remember us? Hello, the one that you love, your friend. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. Know it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of Man, Son of God, will receive glory from this. So although Jesus, listen to this, although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was the next two days. Did you catch that? Something that we can read over and over. And although he loved them, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, 
the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going, are you going to go there again? Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, we'll, he will get soon better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping. He's taking a nap. This could be good for him. But Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sakes I'm glad I wasn't there, for now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Thomas Didymus, and that, that means the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. I love these guys. They just don't really get a lot of what's going on. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been dead in, in, in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she, she told him. I always believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Sound like she and Mary had kind of rehearsed something to tell Jesus a little lecture when he got there. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, or he was deeply troubled and in, in, in anguish. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still troubled as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it aloud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, Come forth, or come out. And the dead men came out, his hands and feet bound in gray clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Thank you for staying with me. Again, that story, just kind of, you have to read it kind of all together. But isn't this an intriguing story? If you've ever read this story before, if you're like most people, and like myself, you know, you look at this and you go, well, this is a story about an incredible miracle that Jesus does, and he raises this man from the dead. And on the scale of miracles, this is, this is right up there at the top. Now, I'm not going to deny that. But I think it's so much more 
than just a miracle of a guy raising a man from the dead. Because we all know that at some point down the road, Lazarus was going to die again. And so I think it's more, and I think as we look at this passage unfold, we're going to see something about Jesus revealing so much more about his heart than just simply that he could do a miracle. Thank God he does miracles. But this story in context, again, these weren't just ordinary people of the day. Lazarus, Mary, and Martha were wonderful friends of Jesus. They hosted him when he traveled through that area, and so he had built a deep relationship with him. That is why Martha, when she sends word to Jesus, says, the one who, who you love is sick. He had built an amazingly close relationship with these people. They were expecting Jesus to show up. They had traveled with him. They had seen him work. They had seen him do miracles. They had seen him intervene. And they were expecting him to show up, and he did not. They sent word that Lazarus is sick, and they asked him to come, but he didn't. Are you in a place right now where you're asking, and there doesn't seem to be a response? Something in you is sick. Something about your life is sick. Your marriage is struggling and dying. You're praying for healing with no answer. You have children who are lost with no, with no hint of God's involvement in their life. You have financial struggles and you can't figure out where the next paycheck's going to come from. You're spiritually dry. You're emotionally spent. You're relationally struggling. Maybe at work, maybe something else is going And it's all met with silence. Maybe you can relate to their, 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 this story. Maybe you can relate to these sisters that something inside is dying. Maybe you're in a place today that you're almost afraid to hope. You're afraid to believe. Prayed over it a hundred times, a thousand times, and there just seems to be no answer. I want to speak to your heart today. I want to speak to this place in our hearts because circumstances are real. You know, uh, Chip Ingram said it this morning in the Sunday school class when he's talking about, and it's from James, he says, when trials come your way, consider it joy. And he's talking to these, you know, these first Christians who were dispersed throughout the land. They were being persecuted on every side. They had, a lot of them had lost everything. They had lost their inheritance. They had lost their jobs and they're out, and, and I mean, and, and they're, they're trying to serve God the best they know how. They've accepted Christ, and it's just met with trouble on every side. Maybe you feel that way today. Maybe the circumstances in your life are just horrible. I want to share something because sometimes our circumstances are, sometimes we can't even explain them. We don't, we don't really get it. Sometimes... It's from things from our past. A few months ago, the Lord spoke something very clearly to my heart. And I, I, I shared this at men's group one time, and, and, and I just felt like, man, this was, this was probably the message to share this. But Athena and I were uh, talking one night, and you know, we were just having one of those you know, kind of a discussion of spiritual things, God stuff. And we started, we started talking, and you know how you do it if you're, if you're like me? You, you, you kind of revisit things of the past and... And I started thinking about if I could go back and change something. Have you ever done that? 
You know, if, you, if God would let you go back in time and you could change something in time and, or you could do, have a do-over, wouldn't that be great? You know, just a little time machine and go do a do-over or do a time machine and go grab yourself and shake you and go, don't do that. Please don't do that. And so we started talking about that, and I started revisiting these mistakes, issues, things that I've done in the past where I go, man, I would love to go back to that moment, and I would, I'd love to do that over. I would, because it's just, it, you think about it, and it's just a, it's, a, it's a grieving thing. Because you see some of the heartache maybe that could have been alleviated if I'd have just done that differently. And so we, we start revisiting things. I would do this, and I would probably do that. Oh, definitely. it was like the Lord spoke to me in that moment, and he said, if you could do that, you wouldn't need a redeemer. You wouldn't need redemption if you could do that. It was almost like a correction, a rebuke to me of revisiting that thing because Jesus has already revisited. When we belong to Jesus, we give our lives to Jesus, he goes back to that place and he heals those those wounds and now the things yes those mistakes that we made have been covered in the blood of Jesus Christ he is our redeemer and our restorer and we can't have a do over but we have the redeemer and so whatever you're dealing with today whatever circumstances you find yourself in today whether it was in your control, out of your control, whether you feel like when I said that, you thought of your top 10 right then. Whatever the place would be, Jesus, the resurrection, wants to come to your heart today and minister to you. It's interesting because they're expecting Jesus to come. He's been a friend. He's been... He's been there, they've seen him in action, and, and they ask, and he doesn't show up, and it's just so painful, and maybe you can re relate to that. Here's something that adds even to the hurt. God is showing up in other people, but not in you. Have you ever processed that? You see somebody else getting a miracle, somebody else, and you know, and, and, you know, you know the Word of God. You know, you've been there. I'm just being real today. Let's be real like David, you know. Somebody else is, you're looking for a job. Somebody else gets this amazing job. And, you know, you know the Scripture. It says you're supposed to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. You're like, yeah, good, you know, right, yeah, good, you know, that's awesome. And in the back of your mind, you're going, you know, God, what about me? Somebody else gets something, and it seems like God, like, you know, is, 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 you know, it's like God's going, okay, you and, and you, and you're standing there going, yeah, me, you know, and, and uh, you, doesn't it feel like that sometimes? You're like, hello, you know, waving the flag right here, what about me? The things in life that don't make sense, the trials that James says will happen when Jesus says the trouble that you'll have, and he makes a promise that you will have trouble when you're on this earth because we're on the fallen fallen world. Philip Yancey wrote that book, Disappointment with God, and I've referenced that before. The people in that book that he shares where you know, they just have these unforeseen things happen in life and they're dealt a hand that they didn't ask for. 
Johnny Erickson Tata, who he mentioned this morning, which is interesting because it's in my notes. If you don't believe me, you can read it afterwards. Um, but you know, this, this, she's faithful. She believes in healing and but is in a wheelchair now dealing with a lot of pain where, you know, and, and in that book that I referenced a while back of a place of healing, you know, where she's, she's it's, it's just very real to her. What, what's going on? I'm asking God, help me. Seems like God is not listening. Nick Vujicic, some of you guys have seen him, the guy without arms and legs, where he talks about there was a time in his life where he was in great misery asking God, what's going on? What's the sense of this? I know you can heal. Why don't you? People that have tragedies. I think of Stephen Curtis Chapman. You guys familiar with him? Stephen Curtis Chapman, the Christian singer, if you're not familiar with him. Wonderful, wonderful man of God who has kind of stood the test of time and his music has touched so many people and it ministers to so many people. Um, he and his wife adopted, you know, three Chinese girls and, um, you know, he's got this adoption foundation and they're helping people. And uh, now it's coming up on a couple of years ago where... Um, you know, he's got, they got three biological children, three adopted girls, and his, one of his biological children, the boy, came into their driveway, and one of the little five-year-old Chinese girls that they adopted came running, and, and, and the son ran her over, and she died. And they were picking up the pieces, and if you ever got to see an interview with them, it's, it's an absolutely astounding what God is speaking to them in the midst. And he says something that's so real, Stephen Curtis Chapman. He said, everything, every lyric I've ever written, everything I've ever believed came into test during that moment. Do I really believe what I've been saying all these years? Because not a, not a thing in my heart not a, or in my emotions and my mind made any sense whatsoever. Have you ever been there? Why would God allow that to happen? And I'm sure that Mary and Martha are thinking, why would Jesus allow this to happen? And so today is a message of hope for those who've experienced the silence and hiddenness of God. Verses 4 through 6, and I'm just going to kind of track through here. We're going to talk a little bit about this, and, and I'm going to close, and we're going to open up for a time of prayer. But the translation there, verse 4 through 6, and I, and I said this before, but it says, you know, that, that although he loved them, and it says that because he loved them, he stayed and did nothing, basically. Because he loved them, he waited where he was. It was an urgent matter for these. They, they knew that he was coming to death's door, and they, they, they send word, and they're saying, you know, you've got to hurry up and get here. And it says, because he loved them, he waited two more days. Because he loved them, he did nothing. No formulas, nothing. Didn't make a lot of sense. When you drop down to the verses 11 through 15, Jesus is saying, this won't end in death. But verse 4, he says he, he died. He tells them plainly, he says, for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let us go to him, saying this won't end in death, but it did end in death. I, I, don't, get, I don't understand what you're saying. Then you've got to love Thomas, you know, these guys. Uh, let us go and die with Jesus as well. I love these guys. Somebody's got to say something. You ever in that where, you know, that silent time and you feel like you need to say something? Don't. 
Just good advice. It usually won't come out like you want it to anyway. And so then he gets there and, and uh, it says he arrives in Bethany, verse 17, he was told that Lazarus had been in this grave for four days. And he's been dead for four days. So not only did Jesus wasn't there, but he, he missed the funeral. He missed the comforting of Mary and Martha. He could have been there, uh, you know, before he passed away. And, you know, at the very least, I mean, here's the, you know, they knew that he had resurrection power in his, in his, in his hands and that, that they knew that he could lift them up and that he wouldn't die. And, but at the very least, he could have at least been there to comfort them, right? I mean, before he died, during it, the day of the loss, they felt forgotten. When they needed him the most, he waited. Everybody knew him. It's all right. Have you ever felt like that? That God had, you, you just felt missed, overlooked, forgotten by God? It's significant that, that he had been dead for four days. It was a common belief, and some of you guys might know this, but among the Jews that the spirit of a person lingered for three days, but left on the fourth day. So in other words, Lazarus was completely dead in that, in that culture. That they said even the spirit is no longer lingering. It is gone. And it says this, that Mary stayed at home while Martha went out to meet Jesus, first of all. And you can... You can hear the disappointment in that passage where she stayed at home while Martha went out and she felt hurt, broken, disappointed, maybe offended, frustrated with Jesus. You know, maybe she just said, you know what, you can go out there, I'm staying home right now. I have nothing to say to him right now. And so Martha meets up with him, has this gut-wrenching, honest encounter with him. You can tell she's very comfortable and they, that they love him very much and they have a relationship. She walks up. If you would have been here, you hear the honesty there? If you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She's like, she's, it's almost like David here. You know, how long, O oh Lord? Where, where are you at? Where have you been? You could have come through for us. She had a plan for Jesus, didn't she? Sometimes we do. Lord, if you just do this, Lord, if you did A, B, and C, my problems would go away. I wouldn't be going through what I'm going through right now if you would have just done, and there's no formulas. And Jesus makes a, a point in this story by the way he did it that there are no formulas. That's why he healed differently he would heal blind eyes different ways because we would put our spin on it and say, well, that's the way you do it. And so Martha is just saying, you know, if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus is looking at her. And you can almost hear his heart of saying, you know, do you know who you're talking to? But we put our spin on God's promises. Maybe you feel like that God has spoken something, said something, and it didn't happen the way you thought, or it's maybe not happening. And sometimes we, we get that into that place of disappointment because we put our spin on how the promise should manifest. We define them our own way. 
But I love this lady because the same breath and frustration she does declare. And, and, and again, this is probably a place of weak faith. If you'd have been here, he would, he, would have died, he would not have died. But even now, God will give you whatever you ask. I love that. It's kind of weak faith, but she says, even now, I know that if you ask God for whatever, he'll give it to you. In your situation today, I want to encourage you that God can, he can speak, he can intervene, he can resurrect hope, even after mistakes, even after pain, even after hardness, he can bring to life that which is dead. But again, sometimes we get our eyes on the thing that is being resurrected as opposed to saying, God, what do you want to resurrect here? When God allows something to die in our lives, he's, he's about to reveal a greater promise. He's about to reveal something that is so much more. And again, you look at verses 23 through 27, he was, he was there not just to reveal that he could do a miracle, but to reveal himself as the promise. And I want to read those passages again. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. So she's, she's saying, I understand eternity and all that stuff. But Jesus is saying, don't just blow through that, Martha. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? He was revealing himself as the promise. He says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Remember the other place where he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life? Here he's saying, I am the resurrection. I am the life. I am the point. He is the answer. And sometimes we are looking for him to resurrect something here, and he's saying, I'm trying to resurrect something that you're not looking at. He is our hope. He is the peace that we've been looking for. He is the joy that we've been looking for. He is the promise. He was revealing the good news of eternity, not just reviving a guy back from physical death. One of the speakers at our, the conference that we went to, Judah Smith, and that's just a powerful message, and I'm not even going to try to unpackage it, but he, he, he talks about this whole thing of unfulfilled promises, and he talks about that Jesus is the point. And he says this, and Jesus is the sum and summation of all of God's promises. And in Colossians chapter 1, it says, in Christ dwells the fullness of God in human form. He is the promise. He is the point. He is the resurrection. They knew him as healer. You know, Martha says that if you would have been here, he, he, you, would have, you, know, he, you could have saved him from dying. But even now, I know that if you ask the Father, he'll give you whatever you want. They knew him as healer. He could heal. That was no problem. They knew him as teacher. They knew him as friend. They knew him as master. But now he's revealing himself as the resurrection and the life. He said, this is my name. My name is the resurrection. This is my nature. Because I can come into a human heart that is so dead and I can revive that person again. I can make them born again by the life of the Spirit. He, who the, he that is in Christ is a new creation. Because Lazarus, we all know, was going to die again. 
But with Jesus, he says, even though you die, you will live forever. And that's what he's saying here. Those who die will live forever that are in me. The point is not just raising this guy from physical death, but that because this guy belongs to me, he's going to die again, but he is going to live forever. Those who in Christ will live forever in eternity with Jesus. We have his eternal promises. We have him. Amen. Could it be that God allowed you to hit a low point because he wanted to bring you to a place where you belong? God allowed something to die in your life so that he could reveal not only his ability to bring it back to life, but to reveal to you that he is life. I am the way, the truth, and life. I am the resurrection and the life. If God showed up every time we called for him and he intervened, we would love and trust him for what he does instead of who he is. And that's why this, this walk of, of the Christian faith is not easy. When we go through things, trials and, and dark places and those wilderness times where things don't make much sense, he wants to speak to our hearts and not just intervene and escape us out of the circumstance because sometimes we think that that is the answer. And he says, I am the answer. I am the answer. You're going to go through the fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's no way out of it. You will be in the fire, but guess what? I'll be in there with you. Your answer is not escape from the fire. It's me in the fire with you. That is the promise of Jesus to be our resurrection. He revealed himself as a resurrection, not just a resurrection, the resurrection and the life. He is loving, he's just, he's holy, and he's sovereign, even when he seems to be absent. And notice what it says, he loved them, so he stayed two more days. Out of his love, he left them in that place of wondering. He left them in the place of silence. Doesn't that seem cruel on one, one side? I love you, therefore you're not going to hear from me for a few days. But we need you right now. We need you this second. And he's like, well, I love you, so you're going to get silence. Because you're going to find a revelation of me like you never have before. Not just what I can do for you, but who I am in you and through you. Don't love me for what I can do for you. Love me for who I am. That's what it means to be in a relationship. And I love that what he said to Martha. He said, do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe? Notice he didn't say, do you understand? Isn't that, isn't that interesting? Do you believe? Because we don't understand a lot of the time. We don't get it. And he's saying, this is going to be the rawest test of faith. Do you believe? Not, do you understand? Not, are you okay with this? Not, you know, I'm going to do this, this, and explaining everything to us before it happens is, do you believe? Then verses 28 and on, his, he has this encounter with Mary. You know, they, they, they tell her, they say, you know, Jesus is asking for you. 
And she's the one that's feeling rejected. You know, she's very close to Jesus. And then it says at the beginning, it says, this is the Mary who poured expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped him with her hair. This is a lady that's very close to Jesus. And she's had beautiful encounters, beautiful times with the Lord. And, and so she, this is, she says, well, you go, I'm staying at home. And you can feel her rejection, her frustration. And so they say, you know, the Lord is asking for you. So it says she gets up and she bolts. I mean, she goes out to Jesus. It says, you know, the, the Jews are there with her and they think that maybe she's going out to grieve over, you know, at, at, at Lazarus' tomb. And so she runs out there and then she says the same thing that Martha does. And it, ma- it makes you wonder if they sat up late night, the night before, the night before, saying, you know, what if he had been here? Where is he at right now? And Mary comes right to him and says, if you would have been here, you could have saved him. And Jesus doesn't have the same encounter with her as he did with Martha, but he's moved in his spirit. And there's lots of translations here where Jesus has moved. I think that there's, it's part compassion. He's troubled in, in his spirit. Um, we don't really understand uh, all the emotions that he's feeling. We know that he's very emotional. We think sometimes that Jesus is turned off emotionally. He's very emotional. It says he was distressed. Some, some versions say he was, he was angry or troubled in his spirit. But I think he was moved with compassion. But I also think that he was, his heart was grieved because they were missing the point. And they were not seeing him for who he was. And they were just seeing him for what he could do. But I do, I do love that he shows compassion, and I think he was having compassion for their loss. He loved this guy. Although he was about to raise him from the dead, he loved these, the, these people. He was, but he was also grieved and troubled in his spirit. And it's like that Mary was saying, you know, it's too late. Even you can't do anything about this right now. And that's enough to grieve him. If you would have been here, just like Martha, if you would have been here, in other words, it's too late. You can't even do anything about this now. Have you ever been that honest with the Lord? Lord, it just feels like that you can't do anything right now. Because we've been to a place where we say, well, you know, we need God to intervene. But there's times where you go, unless there's an absolute outright miracle, there's nothing going to happen. And you almost feel like you're afraid to believe for that. It's too late. And again, she's saying, you know, if you would have done it my way, then dot, dot, dot. If you would have just done it my way. He was the promise standing there. And again, sometimes our eyes are on the wrong thing and we miss him. And sometimes our frustration with God is that he isn't doing things the way we want him or the way we thought he would or the way we thought he should do them. If you haven't concluded now, he does not go by the way we do things. And so when he doesn't do that, we conclude that, you know, maybe God can't even do anything right now. You look at, again, I've, I've referenced the story of Joseph, but, you know, God gave him a dream of leadership. You know, he probably never thought Egypt, the enemy of Israel. And so it manifested way differently than he thought, and the road was way different than, I'm, than I think he imagined it to be. But he held on. But with Jesus, it's never too late. It may not manifest the way we thought because his ways are higher than our ways. But he's working and he's there. 
And then Jesus says, where have you laid him? And then Jesus wept, again revealing his heart. He goes up and, and, and they, they come up to the place where Lazarus, and, and, and where the stone was there, and he says this, remove the stone. And then Martha, who is a, very much a realist, steps up and says, wait a minute. Remove the stone. The stench, he's been dead four days. It stinks. The the situation is dead to the point of decay. There's no bringing this back to life. You can't. Remember, Jesus, we just asked you, if you would have been there, then, then you could have done something about it. But now, I mean, this is four days. I mean, this is, this is, this is, it's done. Remove the stone. See, this isn't a minor thing. This isn't like the other times you raise someone from the dead, Jesus. We've seen you raise somebody from the dead, and it's usually right after they die. This is way different. Remove the stone. Remove the stone. They had to remove the stone so they could get to him. How many of us miss out on what God wants to do because we're concerned about exposing the stench of our lives? It stinks. Yes, it does. There's something in us sometimes that just dies and, it's, and it's, it just reeks. But we need to be honest with God. We need to be vulnerable and transparent with, with God and with others. I'm not talking about everybody else, but I'm, think, I'm saying we have to have some people in our lives that we can be open and honest with. And we need to roll the stone away because the stones are just those things that we seal up and we don't want anyone getting close. You know what? But that is the breakthrough to your freedom. Because if you keep that stone, and that stone in the day, it sealed the tomb. It, it, was, it, was, it kept everything dead on the other side. And he says, roll away the stone. We're going to expose this thing. We're going to open it up, and we're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to let it reek. And the church for so long has been so not willing to do that, and we're afraid to be open and be real and be transparent, and the world is missing out on what we have to offer because we can say, come in here and look at what God has done with a human life that was broken and dead. Expose it. Roll away the stone. We we cannot be afraid to hope. Sometimes we're afraid to believe that God might be able to do something. Again, removing the stone is being transparent and vulnerable and accountable. We're afraid others might smell what's really going on inside of us. We just keep it down there and we keep the stones kind of strategically over the places that we don't want anyone to get close to. The place that's really dead and if we did an honest inventory of our heart, we would say that that part of our lives is dead. There's no sense in messing around in there. Lord, if you'd have done something 20 years ago when I was asking you about this thing, then maybe we could have dealt with it then. Lord, this thing five years ago, 10 years ago, remember those regrets that I was talking about. Lord, if you could have saved me from that, if I could just go back in time and change this or that, if I could just have the Lord do something in me, well, maybe then, but now it's, it's just, it's all hope is lost. This thing has been dead for so long. There's no chance. And the Lord is saying, remove the stone. I love that Jesus does not dialogue with her on this. And you see his heart when he comes in contact with people that he cuts to the chase and he says, let's see what's going on really inside there. I'm not going to give you 101 reasons why we should do this or that. Move the stone. Wait, Lord. 
Remove the stone. We're going to expose this. But don't mess around in there. I'll, I'll make it through. I'll just tread water. I'll muscle through it. And, you know, and I'll just wait for the little sweet by and by one day that the Lord will you know, call me home and I'll just be happy. And, but on this side, I'll just muscle through and I'll wade through. And the Lord is saying, that is no way to live. I, I called you to life because I am the resurrection and the life. If we don't roll away the stone and expose the stench, we can't come out of the grave. The stone represented the thing that was keeping Lazarus from coming out. Because see, only Jesus can resurrect that which is dead. He is the true vine. Where are you finding life from? Are you self-medicating with something? Are you going to something else that kind of helps you get through the day? Maybe a relationship, maybe drugs, alcohol, maybe something else that you, you, know, you just deal with it, you kind of medicate it. Only Jesus can resurrect that which is dead. He's the only one that can mend our hearts, but we have to roll away the stone. And it's an act of outright, unconditional surrender. And the more I live, the longer I live, the more I'm realizing it over and over that this thing of Christianity cannot be understood until you come to a place of full, unconditional surrender to Jesus Christ. Unconditional. You don't put your condition, you just say, you know what? I'm a broken mess without you and I need you to guide every part of my life. Then you got a clue. And you're realizing that that act of surrender, that Jesus comes in and gives you life and we have to roll away the stone. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And he comes out in these grave clothes. I love when Jesus calls him from the dead place. He, he, he comes out and he's still got these grave clothes on. And, and sometimes he'll speak to us and we come out of the grave and he's not expecting us to have it all fully together. There's still those little remnants of representations of death. And we're broken and we're bruised, we're hurt, we're disabled, we're disappointed, we're... we're going through all kinds of things, and we have these little remnants of grave clothes on us. And then he says to the others that are around him, take off his grave clothes and let him go. Because he was bound. You, know, you can just see this guy coming out there like this, and they begin to take the grave clothes off of him. Notice that Jesus didn't go up and start undoing the grave clothes himself. He says to those that are standing by, loose him, take the grave clothes off and let him go. This is where we need each other. If you don't think you need other people in your life to help you and encourage you, you're sadly mistaken. The writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews 10, 25 says, don't forsake the, the, the assembling of yourselves together. And that's why we need, the, we need the parts of the body of Christ to come alongside of us. And when we see those that are hurting with the grave clothes, we're going to help unwind the grave clothes in their lives to expose life. Take the grave clothes off of him and let him go. We need each other to help remove the grave clothes that bind us so that we can be free. I'm going to have the worship team come up and we're going to close this part of it. And, and, and I, I just, I want to encourage you today that Jesus is here as the resurrection and the life.
that no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, no matter how hopeless the situation seems, no matter how dead you are on the inside, Jesus wants to come to you today and He wants to reveal Himself as the resurrection and the life. I'm not going to stand up here and make promises to you that, you know, just come on down here and all your problems will magically go away. But I am asking you this, if you will get honest before the Lord, He will come in and He will reveal Himself to you in a greater way. He will reveal Himself as the resurrection and the life. And even sometimes that thing that you thought, well, if you just resurrect this, you might even be able to go, you know, that isn't even the point anymore. Lord, I want to get my eyes fixed on you. Because you're the promise, you're the point. I'm not saying that he can't do the miracle. He might. But the miracle is himself in you, the hope of glory, where he awakens your heart and he brings you to new life as the resurrection, the life reviving your heart. Let's pray. Jesus. Lord, we just come into your presence this morning and we honor you and we praise you for who you are. Lord, thank you that you are the resurrection and the life. That, Lord, even when we die from this earth, we're, we're going to live forever. I think of, Lord, today as we have heavy hearts, we're thinking about Shirley, but, Lord, there's nothing heavy in her heart at all. She's celebrating with Jesus right now. She's receiving her eternal reward. Lord, I pray for each person today, God, that they would just get their eyes fixed on you. They would see you as the resurrection, the life. Whatever you're going through today, God is here to touch your heart, to reveal more of himself about, to you about himself. So Lord, I pray, God, right now, I pray, Lord, for those who are here, God, that maybe have things on the inside that have died, regrets, pain. They just feel like I don't even want to go there anymore. God would have done something back then, maybe, but maybe they feel that way, Lord. And if that is you today, no matter where, what you're going through, what you're facing today, you feel like that there's just something on the inside of you, something in your life maybe that has died, I want you to raise your hand. Thank you for those hands all, all over the place. Lord, right now, we pray for those who just raised their hands. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would become very real, that you would heal, that you would touch, that you would minister, Lord, and that you would be revealed to each one of them in a greater way today. Jesus, the resurrection and the life. He is here. He is your promise. He is your hope. He is your joy. He is your peace. Lord, we purpose our hearts to find you today. I'm not going to have an official dismissal, but I just want to open up the front here. If you want to come and just get alone with God for a few minutes, you can come and the altar will be open. Um, there might be somebody that comes, maybe lays a hand on your shoulder just to pray. Uh, but if you'd like to just stay here and get alone with God, you can stay in your pew. You can come to the front. We just want to just take some time this morning just to get alone with God and just to do business with Him and have Him come. The worship team is going to lead us. They're going to sing a few songs, but um, if you'd like to come, you can.
you need to go, be blessed. But have a great day.